you'd find this evening the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this will be where we will be reading from. If you have one of the Bibles from the back of church, you'll note uh, the page numbers are indicated there where you can find the particular passage, depending on if you have a large print or a regular print scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Begin reading at verse 13, reading through verse 11 of chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13 through verse 11 of chapter 5. Let's give our attention to the very breathed out word of God. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying, there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. <clears throat> Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the privilege to meet together with God's people this evening and open your word. And Father, this portion of your word is just brimming with hope. And uh, we praise you for that. It was a word that was needed in the days of the Thessalonians, and it's needed in your church today. 
and we praise you for it. And if there's any within earshot of this message that do not know that hope, Father, work in hearts and minds. And uh, Father, uh, we just pray that it will accomplish everything that you have in mind. Be with Pastor Bob as he brings this message and give him everything that he stands in need of. All this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, alone we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. This morning we only had two points. Tonight I have four, so that's six total divided by two services. That's three, so you're still getting your three-point sermons. It still works out mathematically. Four points. One, the temporary condition. Secondly, a known return. Thirdly, an unknown time. And fourthly, a definite result. First of all, a temporary condition. Within our congregation, not as far as membership of our congregation, but within our congregation, loved ones have passed away this week. We lost Adriana Langland. That funeral was held this week. Tom Grassman's mother, her funeral was this week. Elaine Clausen's father, Ryan Lubbers, his funeral was this week. In addition to that, many of you uh, who were formerly members at Coopersville Reformed, saddened by the loss of Reverend Dornbos, served very faithfully at that congregation. Others of you who formerly were members at Seventh Reformed, or mourning the loss of Dr. DeWitt. But if you look at the obituaries, there's far many more who have passed away in this week. Some because of reaching great old age, even as these saints as well that I just mentioned did. Others in very, we would perhaps say from our perspective, untimely including a young man who was stabbed at his place of business, took it upon himself to try to drive himself to the hospital and then suffered an accident and passed away later at the hospital from those stab wounds. The question is, where are they now? The answer is the following. Their bodies have been buried and their souls have immediately either gone into God's presence or have begun to suffer hell. Immediately. I don't know how far down it is humanly possible in this day and age, to divide down a second. Sometimes you read things uh, that, that just astound you as far as how far and how fast and how quickly information can travel. We're down to, not seconds, but we're down to milliseconds. And perhaps those of you who know such things, are it's even divided down quicker than that. So small that, that we can't even begin to perceive the quickness and the speed 
and the time that it is entailed. But I can tell you this, my friends, no matter how far down we divide a second, no matter how quickly we can get a computer or a blip to move, there is never that period of time between the death of an individual and the placement of their soul in either glory or hell. There is no time frame between that. Paul, writing here, tells us, so that whether we are awake, alive, or asleep, dead, we might live with him. Now Paul, writing to believers, of course, here, the church at Thessalonica is saying as believers, whether you live or whether you are dead, there, there is not a moment in time in which you are apart from the Lord. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's immediate. And, and sometimes it's kind of interesting to, to, to make sure that we're informing our children about this and our grandchildren in terms of the death of someone. I heard of one relatively young person. They weren't really a child. They were actually a, a young person who thought that, the, that a person's soul did not leave their body until the funeral service. I thought, well, I think I get that. I think I understand that because sometimes that's the way we act. We, we, we treat a person who is dead as, as if they are not yet in glory or not yet in hell. In regards to the young man that I mentioned previously, if you read the obituary as it appears in online or in the paper, you will note that tonight at 7.30, a group of people is going to be meeting. And the specific reason they are going to be meeting is they're going to be praying the rosary for him. Now, that, of course, raises Pastor Bob's curiosity, so he's got to do a little more research. I mean, I've heard about this, and you hear it now and then, but you kind of, it, it was so stark in that obituary. So I started reading a little bit about this, and, and what is going to happen at approximately 7.30 tonight is there's going to be a group of people who are going to plead with Mary to let his soul spend less time in purgatory so that sometime in the near future he may enter into glory. I'm not commenting upon the young man's eternal state, but I am going to comment on the utter foolishness of such a practice.
why would you pray to Mary to have someone's soul that obviously is not either yet in glory, because that's all you would pray for in this particular situation, but is waiting to go there when Scripture is so clear. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are alive or dead, we might live with Him. There is no time, brother or sister in Christ, where we are absent from the Lord. And what a comfort that is. What a comfort it is to know that at the moment our loved one dies, if they professed faith in Jesus Christ, they are with the Lord. They're there. They're in glory. One of the individuals was referenced in terms of uh, dealing with their forthcoming death and told the, the pastor who was visiting, I'm looking forward to being with God and His holy angels. What an amazing statement. What a glorious statement. What a comforting statement. He understood. He got it. He understood that as a soul, he's not going to be fishing. He understood that as a soul, he's not going to be looking down at people through the windows of heaven to look at all of us gathered at his funeral. He understood that going to glory was not about a reunion with two wives. Because if you stop to think about that, which one of the two does he greet first? And then does a fight ensue? No, we're in glory. That isn't going to happen. That isn't going to take place. See, he understood the proper perspective. He is a soul. And there is a soul. He is simply experiencing the glory of seeing God face to face. And being amongst the holy angels that are there to serve God day and night. So as at one of the other funerals of this week. When the minister had an opportunity to speak with the one before they died. And say to them, we're going to miss you. The response was, I'm not going to miss you. Not at all flippant, not at all sarcastic, but entirely true. Those saints who have passed from this life into glory are not missing us a bit. What tremendous comfort. And as Debray is writing this last article, they are living in the stark reality of death. Death is around them. Horrible deaths. Not just, how would I say it, nice deaths. 
horrible death. But our comfort is that in life and in death we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is not a moment that you and I are outside of his love. And there is not a moment we are outside of his presence. The temporary condition, you see, because that is but temporary. Until there is a return, the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Scripture is plain, it will happen. This will take place. Paul is telling us, uh, the church at Thessalonica, the church today, of the fact Christ is going to return. Jesus spoke about this, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Then will appear a sign in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. One chapter later, Jesus again. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. The angels, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Revelation 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He is coming. Debray wanted to make sure that that testimony, that statement, that reality was included in our reformed statement of faith. That we believe in the visible corporal return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming. And it has a time. This is not an unknown entity. Oh, it's unknown to us. But it has a time. Revelation 6, verse 11. Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. There is a completed number. Debray spoke of it in the article as the fullness of the elect. And that individual, that one last individual that God before the foundations of the world had determined would come to faith in Jesus Christ, when that individual, through the work of the Holy Spirit, confesses sin, turns to Christ, then in whatever time God allots, he will come. He will come. And this return, this sure return at a definite time, is to be desired by every believer. John basically ends with the statement we made at the end of the statement of faith. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Well, I know that's a hard thing to really pray. It's a hard thing to pray, isn't it? 
I, I think of Ross and Casey sitting here tonight thinking, well, wait a minute, we just got married yesterday. Couldn't we wait? A, wouldn't it be nice if we got at least a week or a month or a year, a few years out, in, out of this marriage? Those of you perhaps holding a little infant, you see Stacy in back, holding a little infant, thinking, it'd be nice to hear her say, Mommy. It'd be nice to be able to, to have her take her first step. Others of you perhaps are seniors in high school and you're going, boy, I'd really like it to occur after I, I really, you know, I've kind of worked a long time for this. I'd really like to get there. Others of you perhaps are in the position of buying a home. And you're thinking, It'd be nice if we could live in that home. And we could all come up with our reasons, couldn't we? People of God, the return of Jesus Christ will bring such a surpassing, blessed joy. That even though these events that I've just spoken of are wonderful, are beautiful, are joyous, are treasures for us to hold on to. They are small, little, in comparison to the blessing of glory forever and ever and ever. I can't, I, I can't understand that. I, I, I have trouble conceiving of that. How could something be better? I'm waiting the birth of three grandchildren in a month. But, but the Lord tells me it will be, Bob. It will be. Pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. That which is going to happen, that which is going to take place, that which we will see, that which we will experience, far surpasses any joy that earth can bring. For none of it will be tarnished with sin, and it will never end. It will never end. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So it's a known return, but as I mentioned, it's an unknown time. Paul, in writing 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is telling us that. You yourselves know, verse 2, you're fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, you don't expect it if you... Think of the thief is coming, you stay up and wait. And then he's not going to be a thief because you're going to stop him one way or another. But if the thief comes, it's because it's unexpected, it's unknown. You can't put a precise time to it. 
Jesus himself told us in Matthew, no man, not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son knows the time appointed by the Father. Well, if no angel in heaven, if not even the Son, I'm still trying to get my mind around that one, how that works. And no man knows the day of Christ's return, then stop buying the books because they don't know. And stop listening to these guys who are telling you, oh, on such and such a date, it's going to happen. And stop worrying about it because they don't know. They don't know. There was a man, uh, a, a man who, who grew up in the Reformed tradition, a man by the name of Harold Camping. I think he made eight predictions, all of them wrong. Why anybody would keep buying the book, I don't know. No man knows. It is unknown. Those of you who have aging parents can probably relate to this. Do you ever notice they tend to call and need something at the worst of times? Okay? It, it's never convenient. It never fits our schedule. There's other things we want to do, and then it's, oh, it's mom. Oh, it's dad. Oh, they want us to come over. Oh, we got to go over there and change a light bulb. And if we don't, they're going to have a, oh, it's just going to bug them for the rest of the day and week and month. And My friends, we're going to have all sorts of events planned. We're going to be looking forward to some event. And Christ shall come. Because it's not on our radar screen. We got something else going on. And God says, now. Now I bring you to glory. It's an unknown time. But thirdly, this return of Christ brings a definite result. Something is going to happen. Something is going to take place. Some event is going to transpire. And that which happens at the return of Jesus Christ is a judgment. A judgment of all mankind. Debray was quick to point out not only men and women, but children also shall appear before this judgment of Christ. He will come to judge the earth. We are told in 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and dead. Revelation 20 verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. If you read the full text of Article 37, I have to point this out. Debray made, has included a wonderful observation for us. The books 
that are open. Now, just in your mind, when you hear that, what do you think of? Okay, right? You probably are thinking in your mind there's stacks and stacks and stacks of these books, and everybody's lined up one by one, okay? And we've got to get the right of the A book. Bring out the A book, okay? The, the, the Aaron family, uh, you know, first thing we go through each of the family members of, of the Aaron family, and we read off all their sins. Jabray said, the books are the consciences of each individual. As we stand before the holy Christ, our consciences are open. And we become aware of all the sin that we have committed. We just had the passage this morning in, in high school, Sunday school class from Romans chapter 1. What does mankind do? Mankind suppresses the truth. Yeah, that's what we do with sin too. We suppress the sin. So we can think of one or two when actually there's been hundreds and thousands just in this day. But our consciences will become fully aware. And we will, there in the presence of Christ, fully realize all of our sin. All that has occurred. All that has been done. The books are open. But the passage in Revelation tells us there is another book that is open. That book is the book of life. Do you understand the difference? The difference is this. Every unbeliever on that day of judgment will stand before Christ and their minds will be filled with all of the sins that they have committed, all of the wrong they have done, all the spurning of Christ from the child, from the infant. God will open that mind so they become fully aware of the sinners they are and of the judgment that is coming. But for the believer, their mind is open to Christ. All that's there for you and I is Christ. Our consciousness is only of Christ and the glory of Christ crucified for our sin. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That sin is gone. I stand before Christ with an open conscience, not of my sin, but of Him. Of Him who died for me. Of Him who gave His life for me. Of Him who loved me so much that He took my sins upon Himself. And was treated as a sinner for my sake. On that day, when Christ returns, there is indeed a just judgment. 
There is a separation of sheep and goats. That day is going to bring condemnation. Hell. Sinners whose minds are open to all of their sins will understand the righteous condemnation. Away from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. And will endure the eternity of the wrath of God forever and ever and ever. But for those who are the believers, there is no condemnation. There is only commendation. Imagine standing before the just judge of the, in you, of the universe, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who says to you, not guilty. For there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If there is no condemnation, then not even my conscience will condemn me on that day. Oh, today, like Paul in Romans 7, oh, does, does that conscience condemn the good that I would I do not, the evil that I would not that I do. But on that day, on that day, see, that's why it's amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I can't wait for the day when my conscience will only declare not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. And when I hear the voice of my Savior saying, come and share in the blessedness of my presence. Enter into your eternal home. Glory. Forever. As the people living in Thessalonica faced the persecution of their day, Paul writes this word of comfort about the last judgment to remind them it's in his hands. And if you are in Christ, you're safe. Debray includes this in the Belgic Confession, reminding his small congregation and those of the Reformed faith. Spain may hold a sword. The Catholic Church may be bringing its wicked tongue against you. But there is coming a day of judgment. And they will realize their sin. And if they die without Christ, they shall be punished forever. But you hold the faith. Keep the faith. We believe. 
over and over and over again. That congregation of the lowlands. We believe, we believe, in spite of whatever opposition this may bring, my brothers and sisters, can we do but less? But to stand, to say, we too believe in the coming of our Lord and Savior. And we not only stand and state it as a statement of faith, we are bold enough, we are courageous enough, we are hopeful enough to pray, Amen, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you. What a hope, what a promise. And as our brother Ken prayed before the message, Lord, we would pray again. If there is anyone, anyone here this evening who is without Christ, Father, we would pray that you would pour out your spirit into their hearts and into their lives. That they might come to know Christ. And Father, as we have opportunity in this week to speak to, to a bunch of dead people walking. Truly the living dead of this world. Oh, Father... May we open our mouths to the glorious truth of Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.